0: Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Preparing for war on multiple fronts. It's episode 478 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I, I mean that in a couple of different ways, and I'll tell you why. First of all, Got the cast of Foundation Season 2 starting this week, actually today, on Apple TV+. And I've got the cast with me, a bunch of members of the cast joining me to talk about that. And this was recorded before the strike, so don't worry about that. So this could be the last set of interviews from actors that I get for you in a while because of the, the SAG after strike, joining the Writers Guild. And I'll talk more about that in length coming up in Nerd News here a little bit, Impacts, you know, Comic-Con stuff, all that, all of that. I'll talk about that coming up here in just a few minutes. Also, got a bunch of reviews for you this week. Got a backlog, actually. Gonna bring you my review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, also Transformers Rise of the Beasts, finally got to see those two. Also, The Flash escaped from the Midnight Circus podcast, I'll review that as well. There is still some other news to talk about, like some trailers, Superman Legacy casting stuff that I'll give you my reaction on and so much more. We got this is going to be this is going to be strike heavy nerd news. Anyway, so I, and Comic-Con heavy. So I will talk about that here in a few minutes, but first let's talk to the cast of Apple TV Plus's Foundation season 2 is about to start. We'll get some insight from them next on the Down and Nerdy podcast.
1: This is Aaron Pierre from Krypton and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast.
0: The battle between Empire and Foundation is on. Season 2 of Isaac Asimov's Foundation from Apple TV Plus is now streaming. The season the series has premiered. Going to have weekly episodes after this. And I got a chance to talk to a bunch of the cast before the strike. I had a chance to talk to a bunch of the cast about what's coming up. Some of the key players in this season. season. And I want to start with Lulabelle who plays Gail Dornick. And yeah. You want to talk about an important piece this upcoming season she is one of them let's hear what she has to say we got to see at the end of last season that gail and Salvor kind of briefly met there no spoilers but what kind of a mother and daughter reunion can we really expect here under the circumstances
2: not an immediately ex happy one to say the least i think it's a very tentative relationship and i think they're going to be going into it quite cautiously more than salvo and that's a really interesting dynamic to explore and and observe
0: what's it like to play a mom at that age we obviously know she she's on the younger side but you know being a mom at that age of an adult has to be kind of weird at the same time right
2: yeah i mean try to picture myself in that situation is wild like me as lou so i can't really imagine it i mean i you know We're in sci-fi world and I think anything can happen. Gail obviously is like overwhelmed and taken aback, but there's so many other things that are so much more imminent than trying to figure, like unpack that in like the most immediate way. So they get distracted by saving the world, the galaxy. And so, you know, they have to try and unpack that relationship and what that dynamic is slowly over the course of the
0: season. No doubt about it. As a matter of fact, speaking of reunions, we see Gail and Selden kind of, we see them together in the trailer and given everything that happened between them, how intense is that first meeting gonna be?
2: It's unbelievable. I think that was one of the most incredible scenes I've ever done with Jared, actually. He's brilliant and he's so good. And it was just a joy and it is, it's overwhelming. And it's trying to, it's like, you just kind of don't know. You're left leaving like you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know if they're going to work together, if they're not, if they're going to survive. And that's just an amazing way to start off the season.
0: It really, really was. Matter of fact, it's not like she. It's not like they had a falling out or anything. She she literally lost faith in him. So when you lose faith in someone, how hard is it going to be to get something like that back?
2: Well, She's never going to trust him again from her perspective. That's just not going to happen, right? Because she's lost everything because of him in her opinion. So yeah, unless you have to, unless you have no other choice, but to figure it out uh, for the greater good. So we'll see what happens.
0: So of course we don't, again, we don't want to get into any spoiler territory here, but how did you feel about the threats that we get to see this season? Because it seems like stuff's coming at you guys from all angles.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's incredible and it's, Super exciting, lots of really amazing action scenes, lots of amazing head-to-head battles and, and you know, obviously intellectual as well as physical. And it's, it's a very exciting, fiery, epic show. And this season in particular, everything comes to a head at the exact same point and it's pretty brilliant. It leaves you kind of breathless and like hoping that everyone's going to be okay, but you just don't know.
0: Breathless is definitely a great way to put it. Really quickly, Lou, how much is Gale still being affected by what happened with Raish? because I, again i don't care how long you're sleeping that's something you're not going to get over right away
2: well i mean she's asleep so in, in real time I'm, she's asleep So it's happened to her just yesterday right because she goes straight to sleep soon after she's found out it's heartbreaking and awful it's, she's, she has what, she had Rache and Harry left in her life. She has, does not have a family anymore. She now has gained Salvo, but Salvo is a stranger. So it's like, she keeps losing all these really important people that she cares about. And that has to grind her down at some point, but she keeps going. She's a persevering woman and she's truly impressive.
0: <laughs> that and we'll see how she perseveres on July the 14th. That's when. Season two of Foundation comes back on Apple TV+. Plus. Lou, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much.
0: And speaking of Salvor, yeah, let's talk to Leah Harvey now about Salvor. I asked Lou this, so I want to make sure I get your perspective on it as well, because we see that Salvor finally meets mom at the end of last season. Given all the factors, though, I know we don't want to spoil anything either, but What can we kind of expect from that reunion early on?
3: It's a weird one, you know, just kind of suddenly finding out that you have a daughter and suddenly meeting your your mum. We should expect a lot of discoveries and moments of connection, but also moments where perhaps they're not as connected and... It's all the wonderful thing of being human and uh, trying to establish a relationship with somebody very quickly. It's, uh, it's some real deep stuff, so it'll be exciting to see, I think.
0: Deep stuff, for sure. We know that Gail has certain abilities, and given how she found mom, Salvor seems to be, you know, kind of getting some of that as well. How much more are we actually going to learn about what she's able to do this season? Because I feel like we've kind of barely scratched the surface of that so far.
3: It's funny, Salvor's quite a... She's a character who kind of knows who she is, but also is discovering a lot at the same time. And so, in a way, you know, we learn a lot about Gail's abilities and develop that. And Salvor, at times, is, you know, kind of watching and, and learning about herself, but in a more subtle way. So I, as Leah, get to explore using those um, abilities that she has in scenes. And it's, it's, it's really interesting to do because sometimes it's on, on the page and sometimes it's on the camera, but sometimes it's not. And it's really great as an actor to be able to like bring all that stuff to life.
0: Oh, absolutely. After what happened between Gale and Harry Seldon, I feel like Salvor maybe has a different, very different opinion or different perspective than Gale does about him. Is that something maybe we could see them clash over a little bit?
3: Perhaps, yeah. Like, they do butt heads over a couple of things, and they have different, like you said, different perspectives. So we will see them kind of have different opinions over, you know, things like that. But yeah, no, they're definitely going to have they're going to be on polar opposite sides of certain certain points in the show.
0: <laughs> oh, as mothers and daughters tend to be, anyway. As, so that's,
3: as we should expect. Yes, that, that's <laughs> not
0: that's not too surprising. Yeah. Uh, we know that she wants to know more about her past. I mean, anybody would in that situation, her family and things like that. But the fate of the world's at stake here, Leah. Yeah. So how difficult is it going to be to kind of focus on that after you know just being reunited with basically the only family she has left?
3: Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a, a balance. I think of balancing the uh, the end of humanity potentially and wanting to have a nice conversation about I don't know your mum and her, la- her life. So uh, we'll we'll see really nice moments of like connection and vulnerability and Salvo searching for story and for answers. But at the same time, what's happening out there sometimes is more important. So as when I say up there, I just mean like in the world.
0: <laughs> no, up there is a very that's a very open term in this show. So I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I understand yeah, why you'd say that. Best, <laughs> so really quickly, before I let you go, we know that Foundation Empire looks like we're on the verge of war here. We got the second crisis coming. How far is Salva willing to go to protect mm-hmm. Foundation or maybe we'll protect her family over that? So
3: she's you know salvo is still super connected to where she came from you know so she still thinks about foundation and the people on terminus and uh she's likes for season one willing to go as far as she needs to go and it's it's great to be able to play a character who can really jump into high stakes situations and put her all in and i as an actor get to do that as well so it's 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 really really fun and also like challenging you know for the character and for me and if you're not challenged then what are you doing with your life you know what i mean so it's great
0: <laughs> no doubt about that we'll see those challenges for her on july the 14th that's when season two of foundation comes back to apple tv plus leah thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it thank you so now let's get empire's perspective with cassian Bilton, who plays brother don and will this be a dawn of a new era for him this season let's find out really enjoyed the show so far this season i want to ask you about the brothers though because their relationships always been kind of a tenuous one so how would you actually describe that dynamic as we head here into season two
1: it ain't easy i don't think that's a happy family (laughs) i mean yeah there's a lot going on this season particularly with the arrival of Sarath and the cloud dominion there's a lot to upset what has been a very historical way of living in that palace they're very intent on doing the same thing year on year century on century particularly as they're all clones of each other and i think this season as soon as you start to see them differentiate and choose different paths for each other, the cracks start to form. And I wouldn't say it's happy families in the imperial palace.
0: It's hard when you've been creatures of habit for like hundreds of years, though, right? So, so then there's yeah, that. Yeah, I, mean, I guess so.
1: I mean, God knows what it's like to live like that for centuries.
0: <laughs> Actually, I want to ask you about the queen a little bit there because we saw a little bit of her in the trailer she's described as the mysterious queen. How much is Queen Sarath really gonna shake things up?
1: A whole bunch. I mean, I don't think the Cleons really know what they're getting themselves into. I think normally the Cleons invite people to the palace and they're very much the people in power and they sort of see guests as whatever. Whereas this is a whole different story. She comes in with such authority and such presence. I think particularly as a dynasty of three men they have just been men on repeat it's this brilliant allegory for extended patriarchy right and so i think a woman coming in who's really going to challenge brother day and really question the cleon story is inevitably going to make things a little bit more how do i put this a little bit more nervy in the palace i wouldn't say everyone's sleeping that well at night after they arrive
0: (laughs) you say it was nervy before she got there i wouldn't i wouldn't wear that
1: (laughs) definitely amped up those nerves this season for sure
0: no doubt, no doubt. Oh, I'm sure they're pretty high for, for Brother Don as well. What what actually drives him this season, you think? Because it seems like sometimes so much of the focus is on is on Day. What mm-hmm. what is driving Brother Don this season, you think? And especially think, in the beginning.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is self-preservation. I think as soon as you know, Brother Day has a unique position within the family in that he he he's the captain of the ship, right? He he decides how we're all gonna live. I think as soon as he makes the decision to marry out and end the genetic dynasty, Dawn's sitting there going, firstly, I don't know if he's actually going to follow through with this. I don't think Dawn believes in the early instances, like this guy's really going to do it. But then when there's real commitment and intention and follow through with this idea, I think he's terrified. And I think that mostly comes from a place of thinking, well, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen? And there's one thing you know about the Cleons is they don't like having those open emotional dinner table conversations. I think I don't think he's going to turn around to Brother Day and Brother Dusk and say, well, where do I fit into the picture? I think his head's on the block as soon as that decision is made by Brother Day. So I think he's trying to outmaneuver people and try and be stealthy and try and basically survive. As soon as Sarah turns up, he's trying to sidestep a really strong threat to his succession.
0: Well, we'll all gather around the dinner table and watch season two of Foundation or it premieres. On July the fourteenth on Apple TV Plus, Cassian. Thank you so much, man, for your time. I really Thanks appreciate you so much, it. Man. Have a good day. Back to Foundation now, and I got to be honest, they've got maybe a little bit of magic up their hands, and I wanted to talk to colvinder Gear, who plays a very, very interesting character that I'm not sure that I can spoil. So let's see how much he can tell us. So I love your character this season. I, it, it feels like you're like the sci-fi version of Friar Tuck, and I love it. <laughs> I am all here for it. So, how much fun is it to play a character like this, man?
4: Oh, genuinely great fun. You know, his dimensions is is fantastic. To get kind of that much meat to play with is really good. I've absolutely loved playing Polly, and his whole journey right through season two. It's it's really, 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 really uh, for for Polly himself very questionable. <laughs>
0: It's questionable, but a fun ride as well, especially when you get to get paired up with Brother Constant, who's played by the yes. wonderful Isabella Laughlin. So what's that dynamic like between the two of them? I feel like they kind of need each other in a way.
4: So true. You know, I, when I started working on this with Isabel, it definitely was a father-daughter relationship that it progresses into. And it's a tenderness and a care and to see her grow and to become a woman. It's a real journey, and to protect for what constant stands for, as for our humanity, for our faith, for our beliefs, for our freedom. She carries it. She's our future. At the same time, it became quite attached to each other. As you can see, as it goes, and she tends to look after him in a physic to keep him alive and keep him going and light his faith as, at the same time. You're absolutely right. They are very much needed together. They live off e- each other in that sense.
0: I love it when the two of them t- are together too, so that's always so much fun. We were talking about the fun though, but there's also some serious stuff that's going ar- on around him as well. where we kind of get to see another side of his character at some point too? Because we're going to see the fun side. Are we going to see a more serious side for him as well?
4: Of course, yeah. It's, a, it's very important uh, because I think he is a revolutionary. And at the same time, I think he does care about the little people and where we are. Because, you know, sometimes it's the people that do the killing. It's not the politicians. It's the people that do the fighting. It's the people that, who give their lives of an idea that, that, that sometimes don't even question it. Those little people, we sometimes call them. And he represents the, that, that nation, those the humans in that respect. And that was a joy to play for that. And that's what makes it so revolutionary for him. He cares. He genuinely cares what happens to humanity.
0: Do you feel like, because he's a popular guy, do you feel like that popularity can almost be seen as a threat to other people in foundation as well?
4: It can do, yes. It can do because when you have control and can gain control of, of peoples and he can do that, in, in his uh, persona, in his personality, the way he is. It can, be, it can be scary for anybody and feel threatened, especially for people who want power. Because if you start getting revolt, you know what tends to happen. You get, over, governments get overthrown, you get coups. I mean, the one image that straight away came in my head, just talking about it was the image of that young man when he stood in front of that tank and he says, stop. And that is Polly. You know he wants that freedom he wants he cares that much enough for for the people that he'll give his life for them
0: that he does, and you guys will see that in full strength in season two of Foundation when that comes back on July the fourteenth on Apple TV plus Colvinder, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it
4: thank you very much
0: and as you can hear from all those different conversations, there's so many interweaving storylines in season two of foundation, not just with foundation, not just with Empire but you know, with Gail and, and the found family thing and, and Harry Seldon being back in the mix. And there's there's so many different things to pay attention to. And some stuff that also comes up that I couldn't spoil for you in these first couple of episodes that are going to make you go, whoa, okay. So this is what we're doing now. huh? And maybe if you've read the books, you kind of get a hint of that. But this is a show that is peak sci-fi for a reason. makes sure you watching every Friday Foundation on Apple TV Plus season two. Is now streaming again. Thanks to my amazing guests talking about Foundation this week. Thanks for joining me. Up next, gonna talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It's now on, out on digital HD. I'll give you my review next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Vita Ayala, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time for one last ride. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 now on digital HD. So I'm ready to give my spoiler filled review of this thing. I've waited. A long time. Tried to avoid spoilers as best I can. And I want to let you know Marvel Studios did provide me a code to review this movie with. All opinions here are my own. And I will say this. And again, full spoilers right here because I'm sure that you've, you've already seen it. And if you've waited for digital, you've been avoiding spoilers. This is your spoiler warning once again. But I, I got to say, I knew that this was going to be the last ride, right? And I knew that, you know, there could be some members of the team that didn't make it through right I was fully expecting that actually is even though I was avoiding spoilers I'd kind of caught little bits and pieces of things here and there but my biggest surprise in this entire movie was that no one died like seriously like I was expecting rocket to die I was expecting Drax to die maybe a couple of others you might have heard in previous episodes when I talked about you know what I thought was going to happen in this movie, I, would, I said that Rocket definitely you know was one I was concerned about the most. And I mean, to a certain extent, he did die for a second, right? And then it ended up coming back. But nobody died. But the, here's the other thing. Usually, you, know, you have that ex- expectation going into a movie like this, right? And then when it doesn't happen, you go, well, you know, they had an opportunity there and they didn't seize it. Where at the same time, I felt exactly the opposite. Here it's like the opportunity was there, yes. but seizing the chance to not kill off any characters almost had more of an impact on this story because you had to say your goodbyes to certain characters, and the torch was passed at the end. And if you think about it, again, it's major spoilers here, when Quill passes the torch of leadership to the guardian of the Guardians to rocket you really step back and think about it and you go, Rocket's the only logical choice as the, as the next leader. He really is for so many reasons. And I loved how this, this movie really sets that up. Like if you didn't already realize that before this movie, it really sets it up when you see just how smart Rocket is, not just with his backstory, with his you know cognitive abilities, which I think was the one thing about Rocket that was kind of left off the table so far until this movie was you knew he was smart with tech stuff you knew he was a good pilot you knew he was a strong fighter but I don't think you knew his cognitive reasoning how good that really was until now right until this movie happened I don't think there was a good enough appreciation for that and this movie set the tone for that it was like that final piece of the puzzle that makes you go yeah yeah absolutely I think that this is a good idea So they really use that to set it up well. And that's where, again, you make flashbacks work for you, not just for that reason, but to sell just the complete evil that was the high evolutionary. You want to talk about evil on another level. It really just felt like that, didn't it? And he didn't necessarily feel like an existential threat like some other villains have in past Marvel movies. But he certainly was one of those villains that you just felt the pure evil from, right? And I love that we've gotten so many... I love the fact that they did not make him like this relatable guy either, right? Because we've seen that so many times in movies recently, right? Where the the villains like, well, yeah, they're bad, but you know, maybe they've got a point. You know, there's no redeeming part of this high evolutionary at all. Like 100% at all. No redeeming qualities for this dude. So you want to see him get his pretty much from the beginning of this movie. Right? So I, I, that was a brilliant job by everybody involved there from, from writers, actors on down every really good job, just selling that thing. And then the, the only thing that I kind of, you know, got sick of throughout the movie was the whole, you know, quill and Gamora dynamic. Like at first it's like, okay, I get it. You know, she's not the Gomorrah She was, Pete's sad about it. Everybody understands, you know, and it was funny at first, right? When, when they used it as comic relief and when they were, you know, playing up Quill's pain over the whole thing that was happening and understandable pain, right? But as it dragged on more and more throughout the movie, I'm like, okay, you know, not the focus here, right? And they made it a little bit too much of the focus at times. But again, that is like a very minor criticism of this movie that didn't derail it for me either at all because I get so many other moments. I got to see the most badass Groot that we've gotten so far, right? Drax continuing to be the comic relief with Mantis. Drax and Mantis together I can't get enough of. Even from the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, can't get enough of that at all. I liked that Kraglin's role was expanded a little bit more here and him finding that confidence, you know, and being a little bit more... Of an active member of the team, a little bit more of a leader as well in this new society of nowhere that they're trying to build too. So that there's a there were a whole lot of moving parts to that as well, and it felt like there were so many characters that got there a little piece of time to make you go, okay, whatever the next chapter is going to be, whatever's going to be next for some of these characters, they're going to be okay because of this. And they have this now or whatever. And then you see, you know, the new Guardians team essentially to be formed after that. I will say that speaking of new, Adam Warlock kind of bugged me a little bit more. So he was annoying to me at times, but I think that was the point of this character and how it was portrayed. And I think it was brilliantly acted in that regard as well. And again, you get to see him have his redeeming moment later on in the movie when he sort of realizes, you know, what side he should be on in a certain respect and you see how that plays out at the end of the movie as well. So just because something can be annoying in a movie doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing either. So I love that we got that little piece of things as well. And and again, every new character seemed to serve their purpose in this movie for this movie and didn't have to necessarily have any impacts beyond that. Although, if you were wondering, you know, what happens with the High Evolutionary, we do get, if you look at the deleted scenes that come with this digital HD that will also come with the with the Blu-ray and, and DVD and 4K copies, when those come out, we do get to see what happens to the High Evolutionary. And I won't spoil that for you if you haven't already seen it. You'll see that on the deleted scenes in this. And there's some other great special features that are involved in this digital release as well, some featurettes and things like that. But also something to think about is that, and and again, spoilers here, I I don't think I need to keep saying that, but when Quill leaves the team and you sort of see he goes back to Earth, he finds his grandfather sort of thing, and then we find out that Star-Lord is going to return at some point in the future. Now, what that's going to look like I don't know. I don't think it's just going to be like a sitcom type style thing or or a dramedy about Star Life's life on Earth and Quill's return to Earth. I don't think it's going to be that. Could be wrong. I don't know. But, but it'll be interesting to find out where that character goes next. And if we are going to get any more Guardians at all with Rocket as the leader, or is this just kind of like a Thor the Dark World type, I mean, excuse me, Thor Love and Thunder moment where you go, okay, so this is what Thor is doing now, but are we ever going to see him again doing this? So I kind of felt like, you know, the future's up in the air for a lot of these characters, but this movie as it stands on its own, I thought worked out really well. I thought it was a fitting send-off. I thought it was also a good encapsulation story of Rocket and the Guardians as a whole tied up the loose ends that needed to be tied up in this third volume and just so many great moments in this movie, the comedy was there, the heart was there, and if you loved these characters from the beginning, it just hit you a little bit different, I think. So if you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three yet, I probably spoiled most of it for you, but at the same time, make sure you check it out on digital HD. And this is a movie you're gonna want to watch again. So if you have seen it and just wanted to hear what I thought of it, yeah, this is you're gonna want to snag this. This is gonna be one you're gonna want to watch multiple times. That's gonna do for my review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Up next, speaking of playing catch up. I'm going to also talk about Transformers Rise of the Beasts. I'll review that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for
4: two women.
2: Bobby Cannavale.
4: You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream.
2: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available
0: wherever you get your podcasts. This is Ray Chase, the voice of Noctis in Final Fantasy XV, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Could this be the key to the revival of the Transformers film franchise? Transformers Rise of the Beast is now available on digital HD, so yeah, it's time for my review Of this one, too, and Paramount Pictures Home Entertainment provided me with a free copy of this movie for review. All opinions here are my own, and I gotta say, I'm gonna try not to do too many spoilers on this because I feel like this is one that maybe I've been holding back on seeing because you've been jaded about Transformers movies recently, which I totally understand because I was right there with you. I, I sort of avoided this in the theaters as well. So, I'm going to try and do this a little bit spoiler free because of that reason. So, I will say this right off the bat is that this movie gives me hope for the future. It really does. And I was pleasantly surprised at that fact. And I'll give you a couple of reasons why. So, first of all, I've always talked about how human characters I don't think are necessary in Transformers films at all. You could do a Transformers movie without any humans in it, and I think you'd be fine. I don't think that that the, you would lose anything. So two ways that they did that well here. You put the focus on two non-annoying human characters that actually mattered in Noah Diaz and Elena Wallace. Now, that's not to take anything away from Chris Diaz and the relationship that Noah has with his little brother and their bond, and the reason he fights so hard for him, not just because he's his little brother sort of thing. There, There's reasons why he fights so hard for him, and there's a reason why Noah's sto- story matters, not just at the beginning of this movie, but at the end of this movie as well, and you find that out when you watch this thing, but you're you're giving them purpose beyond just being Accidentally stumbling into the fact that transformers are a thing. This movie is set in the '90s too, by the way, so that that makes it even more of a wow moment when you see something like this. And then you've got Elena Wallace and how you bring the the Maximals into this thing. And and she there again. There's a reason for her to be a part of this as well for another for for reasons that are completely separate from Noah's reasons. And by the way, they don't just pair them together as like, this might be a little bit of a spoiler, so I will flag this. It's not just like they're pairing them together because, oh, they're going to fall in love. There's going to be a love interest story, anything like that. That has nothing to do with it at all. And that's the other reason that I wasn't annoyed by by there being human characters in this thing. They all had their reasons for being a part of this, and there weren't a ton of human characters in this thing that actually made a difference. It was the focus on the Autobots in their quest to save Earth, period. And, of course, you know that Unicron's a part of this. That's not a spoiler at all. So, But it's also Unicron's plan to take over and destroy Earth as well. And the kind of the back and forth of, you know, do the Autobots want to save themselves? Do they want to save their home? Or do they want to save humanity? And is humanity just going to let them do what they want to? That's a part of the story. As well, and you might think, okay, well, how could humanity stop Transformers if they wanted to? Well, they, you know, you might be a little bit surprised when you're watching this movie. So they made the human element matter in this in a way that they kind of brushed off before. It was like, yeah, let's get Mark Wahlberg because he's a name, and people will see it because Mark Wahlberg's in it. Well, you know, that hasn't worked out too well in the past, has it? So now you're going the other direction of, okay, let's give these human characters a purpose in this thing, but also just seeing how the Autobots operate. And I got to say that Mirage, Pete Davidson is Mirage in this thing. Loved it. Thought I'd be annoyed by it. Honestly, I'm not like a huge Pete Davidson fan per se, but I got to tell you, I I loved it. I really, really did. I thought that he, you know, some of the, the humor landed, the personality was right there. Everything worked. About Mirage. Optimus Prime was Optimus Prime, so that was nice as well. And, you know, just hearing Peter Cullen again as Optimus Prime worked for me. Ron Perlman as Optimus Primal, and the way that those two played off each other I thought was incredible. The, that interaction between those two characters and the respect there and what they kind of learned from each other throughout the movie was just so amazing. But I got to give another. Shout out here to the villain of this. And not ju- I'm not just talking about Unicron, okay? I'm also talking about Scourge. Because that's like the ultimate foot soldier, right? Like your, your right hand. He was like the right hand of Unicron. And Scourge just felt like that villain that you couldn't get past, right? It's like, how are they going to defeat Scourge? Never mind the other minions that Scourge has with him that are a part of this as well actually felt menacing and like there wasn't much of a chance of anybody surviving this thing. So that that made it, again, that much more enjoyable as having a villain like Scourge. And again, we're not necessarily focused on Decepticons here either. It's not like we've got another movie where we got to stop Megatron. Unicron is, you know, arguably a, a bigger threat, but then you bring down somebody like Scourge and you're like, okay, yeah, Unicron's looming and we don't want any part of that. But then you get Scourge and you're like, well, I don't want any part of this either because, you know, he's just another just seemingly amazingly unstoppable force and Peter Dinklage deserves a lot of credit for how that turned out because his, you know, voice acting there was off the freaking charts, quite frankly. I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, the, the voice acting in this movie in general was very, very good across the board but those are some that kind of jump to mind for me. And just you know of course they're trying to save Earth and there's a specific artifact that Unicron and Scourge and them that they that they want and need and there's a reason that they need this and there's certainly a reason why you don't want the, uh, the the them to get it and the and the Autobots and the Maximals are trying to stop that. There were there were a few moments though in this movie and again I, I got to talk a little bit about the bad here where part of my argument has been in the past with with Transformers movies is that, you know, there's some, even in a movie where you go, okay, don't really tug at that thread too much, like stuff that was unrealistic. And you're like, really? Really? That just, I, I can't in my mind even comprehend how that could possibly be a thing. There were a couple of moments like that in this movie. And if you've seen it, you probably know what I'm talking about. Towards the end, especially, there were a couple of moments where I went, okay, really? So that's how you're going to make this make sense? No, 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 that didn't work for me. Again, didn't, you know, wasn't a huge like, you you know, well, that ruins everything else sort of moment. But at the same time, it it just made me scratch my head and go, this is how you're going to do this. That just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. So there, there were a couple of moments like that, but the enjoyable stuff, was far far outweighed the stuff that made me roll my eyes in the moments that I did. Character designs, can't beat them. The action, fantastic. Really well done. There was especially a, a, a big battle on like a big hillside that I thought was really neat. And just again, the menacing nature of Scourge and some of the other villains in this movie were just incredible. And I, 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 I gotta say, well done by everybody involved here. It's definitely one of my top Transformers movies. I did not expect to say that out loud after seeing this. I was scared to watch this thing at all. But, you know, once I was done... And they didn't lean too heavy in the 90s nostalgia either. I want to make sure I throw that in there before I forget. Is that a lot of times they try to throw themselves into the nostalgia factor of this thing. And they didn't do that. Because it wasn't necessary. They took some of the unnecessary things that they used to do in Transformers movies from the past that didn't work... And kind of dialed back on that a lot. And that's one of the reasons I think that I enjoyed this movie as much as I did, quite frankly. So that that I, I want to make sure that that's a part of, you know, I tell you what, that that's a part of one of the reasons why I like this as well. So yeah, if you haven't seen Transformers Rise of the Beasts yet, and you've been worried about it, you've been avoiding it, you don't need to avo- avoid it. This is one of the better Transformers movies, certainly the best Transformers movie in probably a decade. If I'm being honest, I mean, really Bumblebee's close. Bumblebee is Bumblebee was really good too. I thought, but as if we're talking about Transformers ensemble movies here with the Transformers name on it, this one gives me hope for the future and the, and the end credit scene, which you probably already know about, but again, won't spoil it for you really opens up the future for Hasbro and what they could be doing. As well, and that's one of the reasons that Noah Diaz's character matters too. By the way, so I'll just throw that out there. That's going to do it for my you know spoiler-free for the most part review of Transformers: Rise of the Beast, which is now available on digital HD. Up next, going to talk about the Flash: Escape from the Midnight Circus podcast from DC and a whole bunch of others. I'll give you a spoiler-free review of the first couple of episodes of that next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Richard Armand from DC's The Flash, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Barry Allen has done it again. The Flash Escape from the Midnight Circus is a new podcast from DC that is right now only available on Apple Podcasts, but will be expanding to other podcast services a little bit. Later on, So if you don't have Apple Podcasts, again, you know you can listen to Apple Podcasts online, right? Like on a PC, you know, like you go to the actual Apple Podcast website and get it. Maybe I'll post the link so you can listen to it if you don't have an Apple or an iOS device. But anyway, here's my spoiler-free review of the first couple of episodes because maybe you didn't get a chance to listen to this one. And in case you missed what I talked about on the show last week about what this was all about, It is about The Flash, who's played by Max Greenfield in this case, who is, of course, you remember Schmidt from New Girl. He plays Barry Allen in this thing, and Barry's basically at the height of his powers. Everybody loves him in Central City, but it also means he's kind of let Iris down one too many times, and Iris decides to leave him, and then Barry tries to fix that by traveling back in time, which is always a good idea, right, Barry? Yeah, that always works out really well for you, and he ends up in another timeline where he's stuck with Captain Cold in this crazy thing called Midnight Circus, which is basically Fight Club that is happening in Central City. And everybody bets on it. It's almost like the Hunger Games type thing. And he has to try and survive that and try and find out how he can get back to his own timeline. Here's the thing about this show. First of all, Max Greenfield's incredible. I'm just going to put that out there right now. He has... He puts a spin on Barry Allen that has this like frantic nature to it. It is almost like Schmidt is the Flash instead of Barry Allen in a way, but it actually kind of works. It, it it works as Barry Allen as well, but if you love Max Greenfield's performances and other things, this is a very Max Greenfield performance, so I think you'll you'll really enjoy his Barry Allen. And the story is is a fun one too, but here's my problem with this. And it's going to be hard to do this without spoilers. But the first episode turned me off a little bit. And I'll tell you why as much as I can without spoiling anything. And it's how Iris West is written. Like you understand as a human being, right? You wouldn't want your partner to neglect you, leave you alone more than they should have, blah, blah, things like that, right? Okay. So... But at the same time, right? And this is very much a not realistic portrayal of real life, right? Because superheroes, as they are presented in fiction, don't really exist. We don't have speedsters who can, you know, rush off for 10 seconds and save, you know, a bunch of people and then just come right back sort of thing, right? So that doesn't exist in real life. So it's hard to make a real life comparison to this, but... There's a particular thing that happens in this first episode that upsets Iris. And it's like, how could you be upset about that? Not saying she doesn't have a reason to feel neglected or anything like that. Don't at, don't at me for this, okay? Especially if you listen to the show. Please don't at me for this. Let me let me get to my point here. But at the same time, it's like, if if you're really beefing about this specifically, even in the moment that it happens... That doesn't say a lot about your character. I'm sorry. Like, like you can't possibly object to Barry wanting to go do this specifically. She has a beef with some of her other things that you talked about. There's something that happens in another. I can't remember if it's episode one or two. There's something else that happens when Barry takes off and it upsets Iris and you're like genuine beef. You should be upset about that for sure. That that one's a genuine beef. But it's in the first episode, something that happens that she gets upset about where it's like, this is not the Iris West that I know from the comics, from TV, for whatever. This is not the Iris West that I know. And I feel like that was a misstep in the first episode. Now, will that get corrected at some point in one of the later episodes? I don't know. But that that is one thing that definitely turned me off about this, about this show in particular. Now, the, the voice acting is good. The story seems like it's going to be a fun one. It's another example of Barry screwing up the timeline by traveling through time, and it's basically screwing himself in the process. And I love the the byplay between Barry and Leonard Snart, who he spends a lot of time with in these first couple of episodes anyway. So there's a lot of fun stuff about this, but that nagging Iris thing from the first episode, I couldn't let it go. So that really made it difficult for me and to enjoy the rest of this thing. Now, quite frankly, it, it, it's a quick listen. First episode's 19 minutes, 12 minutes for the second. Some of the other episodes aren't going to be over 20 minutes either, so it'll be a quick binge when these episodes do come out. But I will say, again, it was just one of those things where it was like I was turned off a little bit by that. In particular, that's not going to keep me from listening. Now, if you're wondering, you know, you've maybe heard that this is a tie-in, to the Flash movie and they do make mention of the Flash movie being available on digital HD on on you know on Apple devices and things like that which isn't happening until July 18th by the way. But this really to me, I'm listening to and I have no direct connection to the Flash movie at all in this show at all because he and Iris aren't even a couple in the movie yet. Sorry if you haven't seen it yet and that's a spoiler for you, but that shouldn't be a spoiler for you based on everything you know about that movie, whether you saw it or not, okay? So don't at me for that either. But this is very much to me not a tie-in to the Flash movie at all. It, it, I see zero connections between the two things. So don't think you have to avoid this because you're taking a stand against the Flash movie, which, you know, that's the true decision. I understand that. But this is not one where you gotta dig your heels in and feel like you have to be against it because of that reason, because I see no direct tie-ins at all. So, yeah, it's a fun listen for the most part, but there was that just that one thing that really bugged me. And, you know, only future episodes will tell whether or not I'll be able to get past that and enjoy the rest of it, but the performances are good. The Flash Escape the Midnight Circus is available right now exclusively on Apple Podcasts, but we'll expand a little bit later on, and I'll try and keep you posted as to when that happens. That's going to do for my spoiler-free review of The Flash Escape the Midnight Circus up next. Speaking of midnight, deadlines have come and gone. There's a lot of pre-Comic-Con nerd news to talk about, some big stories, and I'll get to it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
4: This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: The picket lines are about to get even fuller. It's time for nerd news. You've heard the news by now. It's everywhere, and it's time to talk about it. SAG-AFTRA has officially gone on strike against the studios for, you know, what they think is fair compensation in a new deal, joining the Writers Guild, who's been on strike for a while. Now, I want to dive into this. And first of all, I want to say I support the actors and I support the writers. I, th- I think that they should get paid what they deserve. I think that, you know, this AI stuff is, is scary business. And th- there's just some bad stuff that just seems to be coming out. And, and I want to talk about some of the reports that have come out recently. And again, these are reports. You know, I have no way of confirming this without talking to somebody personally. So all I can do is talk about the reports. And one of them is that the, the studios pl- don't even plan to come back to the table with the writers until October, they're basically going to try and starve them out. You know, hopefully they run out of money and then they'll be able to take a lesser deal. And that's just, if that's true, that's low down. Apparently that, that is something that's been said. That's one of the things that maybe can be confirmed at this point, but I want to be real careful here. I'm not trying to get sued or anything. So I'll just say for now that it, that it is a report. The other report that I saw was something about background actors And how the studios wanted to pay a background actor basically a day's pay and scan their likeness and be able to basically just use it forever without consent or further payment or anything like that. And that just that sickens me, man. Imagine going to your job and them saying, "Okay, we're going to just copy your mind and your likeness and we're going to let an A.I. do the rest. Would you be cool with that? I want you to really think about that for a second if you'd be all right with that. So if you're kind of leaning on the side of the studios and stuff like that, I want you to think about just something like simple like that. And I mean, AI in general should be scary for anybody. I mean, you're starting to see AI generated articles and stuff like that, the human elements being taken away. And that's got to be scary no matter whether it affects your job or not. But also, I mean, the, the residuals, they they it, they they certainly seem like they need to come up and you know you're talking about health insurance and and everything else, and we're not just talking about I I the I've seen the argument of oh well it's millionaires fighting with billionaires sort of thing, And in a certain sense that's true, but you have to consider that there's hundreds of thousands of members of the Screen Actors Guild and of and of and of SAG AFTRA, we're not just talking about the Scarlett Johansson's of the world, and I'm and I'm just picking names at random and the Matt Damons and things like that. You've got below the line talent. Below the line talent basically means the ones you don't really see in the opening parts of the credits, right? The the ones that are a little bit further on down that make their contributions but don't get seen nearly as much as some of the bigger stars do. You got to fight for them too, you know? You have to consider that this is their fight too. And you know, they're doing whatever they can to scrape by as it is. But it's not necessarily about the big. Now, now you're gonna see the bigger names probably out in front of this thing and be profiled more because when you pull it, put, you know, below the line actors are below the line actors. You want to put them out in front of the picket lines. People are gonna go, "Who's that?" sort of thing, right? So you want the bigger names, bigger faces out there in support. So it has an air of millionaires fighting with billionaires but it's really not it's a team fighting not you know that you're still fighting for the little guy here you get you gotta keep sight of that it's not the millionaires that are in the most jeopardy here now is this going to ultimately benefit them if they get a great deal of course it is but you know that's part of the union They're, they want something that's going to benefit everyone now at the end of the day is going to be a fair deal for, for everyone? That remains to be seen. I certainly hope so. But it, it's just, it's crazy to me that it even had to get to this point. And in a lot of this is greed and this is going to affect a lot of things. Basically, the the union is saying that the actors can't do basically anything. You're not going to be able to promote your stuff on social media. You can't do any press. You can't do any appearances, stuff like that. So... This is going to affect conventions, and I'm gonna get to Comic Con specifically here in just a second. But who knows how long this thing's gonna last? Honestly, this this could drag out for a while. It seems like the vitriol is there. You saw Fran Drescher's passionate speech, and of course, she's she's the chief negotiator, I believe, for the for the union. And correct me if I'm wrong on that, but you know she's fired up. And it seems like the whole union's fired up. And and the the Writers Guild certainly stoked, I think, to have the actors join them on the picket lines in their own strike. And now, does this mean if one gets a deal, the other's going to get a deal easily? And I've also seen where it's like, well, the actors should say, you know, number one, we're not taking any deal until you give the writers a deal. And that's, that's fair. And I know that these unions are going to support each other. But you've got you, you got to make the best deal for your, for your union at the same time. I hope that the writers get their deal first. I think that would be I think that would be a good first step. So I, I want the writers to get their deal as soon as possible. and I think they deserve it. and they, and they certainly, certainly deserve a bump for sure in a lot of different things. They've been disrespected for a long time now, and it's time for that to stop for sure. But can the actors go in and be like, you know, you give them a deal before you and, and and before we can even discuss a deal? I don't know that you really want to go in with that. You've got to have your bargaining positions. And, you know, if they can help them out in any way, I'm sure they will. But I don't think there's going to be any contingencies there either. So I'm not sure that that's a realistic thing that they can do. But obviously, I think you and I hope this is over sooner rather than later. The deal is struck, you know sooner rather than later, and a lot of stuff is going to get pushed because of this, and the writer's strike too, it's not just the actors, the writer's strike and the, and the, and the writer's strike and the actor strike together are going to push things, so it's almost not even worth talking about release dates for anything in the future, and when I talk about some trailers, I might just leave the release date out here in a few minutes, but you know, best of luck to everybody involved in the strike, really hope they end up getting the deal that they deserve. Now I do want to talk about Comic-Con for a second because it's going to be a little bit different this year and I do want to sound off on a couple of things here because obviously my schedule changed immediately when this strike happened. You know, I'm you know you know me if you've been listening to this show for a while when I go to Comic-Con it's a lot of press rooms talking to a lot of actors, a lot of stars, things like that, you know, it's the full schedule of press rooms coming up at Comic-Con. And some of that might still be happening with producers And things like that. And that's still very much up in the air as as of me recording this. So while it might not go completely away, there's still a lot of question marks heading in to Comic-Con for those of us who cover it as, as press. But I want to address one thing really quickly. And that is the crowd that says, oh, well, maybe it'll finally be about the comics again this year. And I do hope, by the way, and I want to put this out there right now, I hope this does put more of a spotlight on the comics. I hope we do see more butts in seats for comics panels, not just for DC and Marvel, but, you know, Image, IDW, Dark Horse, on down the line, you know, Mad Cave Studios, stuff like that. I want to see these companies get their shot, get their due, right? I want to see them get more eyeballs on the product. But... You have to understand that one of the beauty parts of San Diego Comic-Con and what it has become is that it, it was a something for everybody event. If you were a diehard comics fan, you had your you had the stuff that you could be super into. If you were a toy collector, you have the stuff that you can be super into and involved in. Sci-fi and fantasy, which has kind of taken even more of a backseat than comics has, you had that realm there as well, but then you also had the Hollywood stuff that kind of went along with that and with Hollywood brought more people into the mix. Nothing wrong with that either, by the way. And maybe, you know, when the Hollywoodification of Comic-Con happened, it did take more eyes off of the comics. That's understandable. But at the same time, you got to understand that, you know, San Diego Comic-Con, Comic-Con International hasn't been about the comics in a long time. It just hasn't. And here's the deal. If you're a major comic book fan, if comic books are your top fandom, that's amazing. But it's also, if you should already know as a comics fan, that Comic-Con in San Diego is not the number one con for comics. If you love comics, you're probably going to Emerald City Comic-Con. You're probably going to Heroes Con. You know, C2E2 to, to a certain extent. And some others. Around the country as well. There are some great cons. Baltimore Comic Con is really good for comics as well. There's several cons out there that are far better for comics fans than Comic Con is. I'm just going to say I'm just saying it. Now, does that mean there won't be any major announcements comics wise at Comic Con? Of course not. It's still a Comic Con. Okay, there's going to be that presence. They're going to have that presence on the show floor as well. Maybe more so than in past years because of the, the, the actors' strike and stuff like that. But this has not been a show that's been about comics for a long time. It, and we've seen a decreased presence, not just in sci-fi and fantasy, but authors as well, book authors, which used to be a big part of the show floor as well. That's backed off more and more as the years have gone on. So it's not just comics. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's been ignored more and more and that's, that's been backed off over the years, but here's the other thing you have to consider, right, so Hall H is going to be almost a ghost town, it seems like, at Comic Con this year, even Ballroom 20, there's a lot of major venues inside Comic Con, where you think, and this was before the strike even happened, and I think a lot of people kind of thought this could happen anyway, so Hall H's schedule, and I talked about this last week, was pathetic, for the most part. I mean, it's not not even kind of fault. Even Sunday being empty completely shocked me. You got to put... So you think to yourself, okay, well, you, you got to put something in there, right? What's to stop them from moving like a Marvel Comics panel or a DC Comics like a major comics panel into Hall H or Ballroom 20? Why not, right? Maybe it's not that simple. You said, I mean, oh, James it's not that simple, but I mean, hey, if you want to put more butts in seats, make more seats available, right? But obviously, and this could change as of me recording this too, by the way, this, this could absolutely change, but they're not doing that. And there's a reason for that, okay? They're not putting these panels in ballroom 20 in hall H. Now, there, there are some bigger panels that are going to be in big rooms. There's some really good rooms in the, in the you know, the 6A, B, C, stuff like that. There's a lot of big rooms there too. So it's not like these are being held in closets okay but you'd think with you know these rooms are available for use you know you could obviously move some stuff into those rooms and get a little bit more space and a little bit bigger spotlight for some of these panels they're not doing that for a reason you have to consider that for a second if they thought that room could be kind of even kind of full they would have done that they would have said well you know clearly we've got hours and hours worth of availability in hall h maybe you want to move in there dc maybe you want to move in there marvel will do a big thing in there they're not doing that they're not and you have to open your eyes to that fact that comic con will probably never be about the comics again not in chief anyway so if you really want that comics fix and 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 there's nothing wrong with that either by the way there's nothing wrong with that at all they want to focus to put their main focus on a big money maker like Hollywood, that's fine. It's going to bite them this year, right? Certainly going to bite them this year, but at the same time, even comic creators know that there are comic there are cons that are more geared towards comics and that die-hard comic book fans are going to seek that out. I hope they seek them out at San Diego as well. I know I certainly will. I'm going to make I'm I'm going to have more comic book coverage on the show because of this. I can promise you that. But at the same time, Comic-Con itself doesn't seem to have the same confidence in that. You just have to make your peace with it. So what my coverage is going to look like, who knows, but hopefully you follow along on social media. And, you know, I'll tell you how you can do that here in just a second. You probably already follow anyway, but, you know, follow along. I'll have some cool stuff for you regardless, and there'll be some cool stuff coming up on the next couple of episodes of the podcast. But it's wait and see mode for me too, honestly. So we're just going to have to see. What happens there and I'll find out when I get my boots on the ground sort of thing. This doesn't mean I'm going to stop talking about movies and shows and stuff entirely. That would just be unrealistic. And, you know, there's still stuff coming out that deserves to be talked about because people worked hard on it. Right. Even if it's not going to be promoted by the actors and and stuff themselves, people still worked hard in these things. So let's talk about them. The new Blue Blue Beetle trailer came out. Of course, that DC movie coming out on August the 18th from Warner Brothers. And what this really highlighted was, you know, more of Jaime Reyes. I've been calling him Jaime Reyes, and I really realized it should be Jaime. So I'm going to call him Jaime Reyes from now on. We get to see a lot more of just how likable of a character he's going to be, how big of a role his family plays in his life, in his personality, in his journey to becoming a hero as well. But we get to see more of Carapax, who's the villain that we're going to have In this movie, and of course, Susan Sarandon's character, part of that as well. And you get to see them go after the family in this trailer, which is, you know, in true villain fashion, right? But you get to see see Carapax and how, and we finally get to see outside of the, the image that we've got from the, from the McFarlane Toys release, we get to see him in action a little bit and you get to see just how menacing Carapax is going to be. And we also get to see a little bit more of what the Blue Beetle Scarab Suit can do as well in crafting these weapons for Jaime to use in the suit. But, you know, you got to love this Reyes family. you just got to love the vibe of this movie in general. I hope it does well, even if it's to the point where the strike's still going on and this can't be promoted. I really hope this movie does well because think about it. If this thing flops, then, then that, again, flops don't help us get more of what we want. I understand wanting to just be like, I'm not supporting the studios. I'm not going to see that. Well, guess what? The studio is not going to take that as, oh, well, maybe we made a mistake. They're going to think, well, maybe this movie sucked and we shouldn't do anymore and we should just, you know, drop this character entirely. So please keep that in mind if you're deciding whether or not you want to support Blue Beetle. Get out there on August 18th. This movie and this character deserves it. Then you have Ahsoka who dropped another trailer, the Disney Plus series, which will premiere on August the 23rd. And this one highlighted a lot the tension between Ahsoka and Sabine. And you sort of see, you know, the abandonment that's there. And Ahsoka's talked about, you know, you know, hey, I walked out on Anakin and clearly I walked out in Sabine, too. And not necessarily cool with it, but it's pretty clear from the trailer that they come together. Right. And if you're a Star Wars Rebels fan, how happy are you right now after seeing this trailer specifically? I mean, you were already happy before because, you know, you've got and you've got Sabine and you've got Ahsoka and we even see a little bit of Ezra. In this trailer, well, on the wall, at least, like we see Ezra. But at the same time, and, you know, seeing Grand Admiral Thrawn up there, too. That's got to make you happy, right? That's got to just make you smile from ear to ear. And we actually get a a decent look at Thrawn this time in this trailer. Still, haven't heard him speak yet, but we know this is the same voice actor that played him in the animated series. So we're good there. You know, we don't have to worry about that. But we've only seen very short glimpses of Thrawn. Now, we do get the Dark Jedi as a part of this thing. So that that's, we get to see them highlighted a little bit more and how they're seeking power from Thrawn and the empire. And you know, that you know how that worked out in the air to the empire series from, from Timothy's on. So that's, I just finished that by the way. And it was, it was awesome. I'd never, I'd never read it before. Just finished it, loved it, but that's a, that's a topic for another show for sure. Cause I could go on for a while on that, but it just seeing the battle between not just, Ron and this team of Rebels, but also against these Dark Jedi as well. I think this is going to be an incredible show. I really hope it is and I can't wait for August 23rd to find out what that answer is going to be. I want to talk about the Wonka trailer too, which is is going to be coming out on December the 15th from Warner Brothers. Yes, it is the prequel of prequels for the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Timothy Chalmont going to be playing Willy Wonka, you know, basically opening up his own his first chocolate shop and trying to fend off the chocolate mafia as they call them when he tries to move into this this town and open up this shop and you see the eccentricity starting to come out in the character you see there were very much tim burton vibes in this trailer for me anyway even though you know we know who are, who's involved in this movie but it just looks like a, like the big production that you'd expect this to be right. But this is not your cynical Willy Wonka. Not yet. Anyway, will we see how he starts to kind of be poked and prodded to become that guy? I don't know. I kind of hope not. I kind of hope that this is just the, you know, hopeful, wishful, vibrant movie that it looks like on its surface from this trailer. Also, Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa loved that. Loved that. And the whole thing where it's like, you know, once we start dancing, we can't stop. So I'm going to be keeping on going anyway. I loved that part. And, you know, how he ends up meeting the Oompa Loompas in the first place. I'm I'm interested in how we kind of go about that story. Now, is this a story that needs to be told? I don't know. Well, I have to, I'm I'm curious to see if this is going to be a worthwhile prequel or not. Because obviously, they they're not all worthwhile. And I'm hoping that this one will be Timothy Chalmett's really talented, I think very suited for this role. And again, I'm excited to see what happens with this thing when Wonka comes out in theaters on December the 15th. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Next time you hear my voice, it'll be from Comic-Con. going to get there in a couple of days to start my coverage. And I promise you, there's going to be plenty of incredible stuff. To talk about and fun stuff to talk about. So make sure you follow along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads, by the way. Also at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. You're definitely going to want to be following on TikTok. I'll have a bunch of fun stuff from Comic Con on there. I can promise you that. Also, down and Nerdy is where you can find a whole bunch of other stuff and to listen to the show on there as well. Make sure you're subscribing. Wherever you get your podcast, any way you can support the show, I really do appreciate it. So until I see you from Comic-Con, remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.
4: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God. And we are not its favoured children. The heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming january second, wherever podcasts are available.